0: How's everybody doing this morning? Good, okay. So if you don't know me, my name is Justin. I am the student pastor and a ministry associate here at Adventure. I'm so glad to get the opportunity to come up here this morning and bring God's word. Um, before we start, let's go to God in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this awesome day that you've given us. Uh, thank you that we could come into your house and worship you, that we can open up your word, Lord, and dive into that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will um, speak into us, that you would show us truth in your word in Romans 12 today, um, that you would open that up for us, and that you would give us a heart to receive it, and we may honor you in the way that we live it out. We love you. Amen. All right, so last week, Brad spoke primarily about the spiritual gifts, So if you guys were here, you heard that sermon, and in Romans 12, the first eight verses in it, we actually see seven different Spiritual gifts. Now, that's not all of them, right? There are more that are covered in Scripture. But specifically in Romans 12, we see seven. So Brad's sermon last week, I believe it was profound, but I also believe that it was extremely eye-opening, at least for me, right? And I hope it was for you, too. But the key pieces, this is important here, the key pieces that I got is that every Christian in this room, not just some, but every Christian in this room has a distinct gifting by God. It's not just the people that sing on stage or the people that get up here and talk. Every Christian has a distinct gifting given by God. Here's another important piece here. Please hear me on this. Not one is more important than the other. Not one, Me preaching up here is no more important than the people that clean chairs after service. It is of equal value and of equal honor and glory towards God. But he has gifted you these things. This is going to be crazy here. He gifted you these gifts before you were even born So what does that mean? You didn't earn it by the way you lived, right? When we read Psalm 139, we see that we are knit together by God in our mother's womb. And part of that is God knitting and weaving in the spiritual gifts that he's given us before we're even born. Because he makes it a part of who we are. Important piece here, though. This is going to sound strange. The gift is not for you. It's been given to you, but it is not for you. It's for the edification and building of the body of Christ, his bride, the church. It's for everybody else. That gifting that God has given us is not for us. It's to glorify God and it's to build up his church. And when we come to have that mindset that it is not ours in the first place, it makes it very hard to become prideful about the gifts that we have. I prayed for our church over this last week um, that this would be eye-opening to us, and that this sermon that he preached last week would be reality in our hearts, that we'd be able to take that and live this out and use the giftings that God has given us in a way that is humbling, in a way that is serving to everyone else. Now you might wonder, I, and why do we recap last week every single week? Brad does it, I do it, we always get up here, the first few minutes are recapping the last week. If you've ever asked that before, that's a really good question because I actually asked myself that question this past week. Like I know it's important and it's valuable, but why do we actually do it? And I was sitting there driving in my car thinking about this question. I'm like, what's the answer? By the way, a little sidetrack, I use my GPS to get absolutely everywhere. and That's a little embarrassing because I've lived in Louisville for seven years and I still use my GPS. I don't know how to get anywhere but Chick-fil-A, Target, and church. That's, that's pretty much it, right? I know how to get Chick-fil-A because I'm there like five times a week. I go to Target a lot, and then obviously I'm here all the time. I'm, I'm just not good with directions. I'm terrible at it. By the way, that's not a spiritual gift that God has given me. I don't know how to get anywhere. So I use my GPS to get everywhere. Now to get back to the question I just asked, what I realized as I was driving, I was asking the question, why do we recap every week? I realized that the entire book of Romans is actually kind of like a route on my Apple Maps. You might be like... That's a bit of a stretch, right? Let me explain. This is why we recap here because the journey is so important and every part connects to the last one. Today relates to last week. The week before related to that, right? So the destination, if this is a a route, the book of Romans, the destination at the end of Romans is to live a life of Christ-likeness. The goal of this book that is written to the church in Rome is to live a life that reflects the character and the life of Jesus himself. So if Romans is a route on apple maps, it is to get to that destination. So if that's the end point, what is the starting point? Imagine we're leaving a house, right? We're leaving our house. That house is where we start from a place of the flesh. It's where we still have worldly tendencies. We live by good worldly moral standards, right? We use our own wisdom rather than God's, and so you think about we're in this house that is just our worldly nature, our human nature, right, and think of chapter ones of Romans being the thing that provokes us to pull out of that driveway, right, we have to start somewhere, it at least gets us out of that mindset, out of that space, then over the next few chapters, really two through five, we start to experience a lot of recognition of our own sin and shame, If you read Romans 2 through 5 and you don't feel convicted, there's something wrong there, right? Because Romans 2 through 5 calls out so many things in my life. It's important here. Now, I want you to think of Romans 2 through 5 kind of like a Kentucky interstate, okay? Full of potholes, right? Because for some reason, we're never prepared to take care of it. They bring the trucks through and they just take chunks of asphalt out of the road, right? It's like a Kentucky interstate. I say that. Because Romans 2 through 5, dealing with our own sin and shame, is uncomfortable. It's not fun. We're like, when is this going to be over? Right? It's not fun. It's not a fun part of the journey, but it is an essential part nonetheless. We have to deal with our own sin and shame. I'm going to skip a little forward, um, a little bit forward to chapter 12, where Brad started last week and we're continuing today. If Romans is a map to Christ's likeness, then chapter 12 is kind of like the final exit as we're now just a few miles away from that destination. We're almost there. We're getting off the exit. We're so close because there's a shift that's begun to happen in chapter 12. Because I want to pay attention here. This is something Brad read last week. All of Romans 12 is set up with this verse. It's 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God in simpler terms here. Quit living like the world and start living like Jesus. Quit living like the starting point and start living like the destination. We've gotten off our exit and we're just a few miles away in this journey towards Christ's likeness and chapter 12 is this pivotal moment and that leads us to where we're at today. So you guys know at the top of sections of scripture in your Bible, depending on what version you have, there'll be a little subtitle, right? You guys see the little subtitles that you'll read, and it kind of tells you what you're about to read. In one of my uh, Bibles this week, I was reading through the passage we're about to go through, and on top of it, it said, Marks of a True Christian. You read that, and you're like, oh, that's scary, right? That's intimidating. Marks of a True Christian. Does this mean if I don't live this out perfectly, does that mean I'm not a Christian? If this is the mark of a Christian, the mark of a true Christian, it's intimidating, Let me be clear before we jump into this today. As we read it, you will probably realize that you don't do this perfectly, just as I have. Haven't done it perfectly, right? I'm not saying that if you've messed up that your salvation is now null and void, and you have to say and tell everyone that you're not a Christian, right? That's not what I mean here. That's not what marks of a true Christian is. My prayer is that as we go through this day, as we read this, that we may all, including myself, Humble ourselves before an almighty God and realize that we must make changes. God still loves us even if we mess this up. But this must bring us to a call of action where we must make changes in our lives and humble ourselves before God. Starting in verse 9 here, uh, Romans twelve nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. So right here, it's essentially Christian ethics, right? It's how we're supposed to live. If the des- destination is Christ's likeness here, these are things that we have to implement into our lives. I read a quote this last week that said this about these verses. Read through these verses again and again and feel the simple, practical energy they invoke. They offer a no-nonsense vision of Christian living. You can't get simpler or clearer than that. That's exactly it. You can't get simpler or clearer. It's no nonsense. I mean, just we're being told here what to do, right? There's no type of theology that we have to break down. There's nothing that we got to figure out, oh, like, what is Paul saying here? It's, It's clear. He's telling us what to do here. Let me throw these up on the screen real quick. These are the different ones that we see. Let's go through them. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to good. Love one another. Take the lead in honoring one another. Be diligent in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share in others' needs. Pursue hospitality. So you might be wondering why I capitalize the verbs in each of these on the slide. There's a purpose for that. Because you think about the things like love, good, honor, zeal, hope, hospitality. All these things that you would think I would capitalize. Here's the important part here. God has already instilled those into our hearts when we became Christians. When Jesus changed our hearts, he planted all that stuff into who we are, into our very being. When we went from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, all these attributes of good, of love, of honor, of zeal, of the spirit of prayer, he instilled, these, he instilled these things in us. These are spiritual gifts, right? But they're not like the spiritual gifts that we talked about last week. Because the ones last week, God gives those uniquely. Every person's different in those. Not everybody gets the same one. But with the verses we just read, God has put these things, these attributes, these gifts into every Christian's heart. Every single one. You're not excluded from that. He's put them in every Christian's heart. So again, why did I capitalize the verbs? Since God did the work by putting the holy attributes in us, he's now calling us to live out those attributes in action. He's calling us to, those, he's given it to us, right? He's like, now you've got to live these out in action. So if he throws up again, we must let love be without hypocrisy. If we're going to love people, we can't then go do the opposite. Detest evil, cling to good. We must run from evil and cling to good, and good is God, right? God is goodness. We cling to him. We love one another. We love one another. No caveat to that, right? We love one another. Take the lead in honoring one another. Not just to honor one another, but to take the lead. We don't wait. We take the lead. Be diligent in zeal. Zealousness would be um, a, a passion for God, Right? be diligent. Don't lose the passion. Stay passionate for God himself. Be fervent in the spirit. Like uh, there's a lot of churches that ignore the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear, we're not going to do that here at Adventure because we are going to be fervent in the spirit and recognize his presence in our hearts and in our lives. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Rejoice when you see hope in your life, what God is doing in your life and in others, and be patient in struggles. Knowing that God will keep his promises. Be persistent in prayer. We see that in scripture, prayer without ceasing, right? Be persistent. We must be persistent. Share in others' needs. There's an action here. Share in others' needs. Whatever they have, we share in that. Because what? Three, we love one another. Ten here, the last one. Pursue hospitality. He's given us a spirit of hospitality. We must pursue it. God has called each of one of us to take action in our holiness. He's put these things in us but we are to take action in our holiness. Again, this is done by the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this by ourselves. But just because we have the Holy Spirit to help us, it then does not give us the right to sit on our butts and ignore what God has called us to do. We can't. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in each of these things, and then we get up and act, then how do we expect to ever reach the destination of likeness? Because then it's almost like the GPS is off and we're just wondering, having no, no idea where to go, like me going absolutely anywhere besides Chick-fil-A church or to Target, right? We're going to have no idea where to go. This is the roadmap. We have to follow the roadmap, and if we do, we'll get there. We will get to likeness. And when you do these things, when you make this a priority, watch what God will do in your life, in your own heart, and in the others around you. It will be crazy, right? By the way, what we just read through, that was the easy part of today, which, by the way, is not very easy, right? But that's the easy part. So I'm just setting you up for this next section here. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Is this easy for anyone in here? Raise of hands. Mine are way down, right? This is not easy. This is a tough one. It's really easy to love the people that love you back. It's, easy, it's really easy to love the people that you trust and that haven't hurt you, right? It's easy to love them. It's really tough to love the people who have hurt you or are actively hurting you in your lives. It's one of the most difficult things that we could ever do as a human, it's one of the most difficult things we can do. I mean, let's just be honest here. Has, has anybody ever had someone emotionally hurt you in your lives before? Right? I mean, there's a few people. I, I'm glad some of you guys got through life unscathed. I'm glad. All right. Let's be honest. It's all of us in here, right? We have all been hurt by someone in our lives because that's what sin does to relationships. That's what sin does to communities. That's what sin will even do inside of the walls of the church, Because often, as humans, what we desire is revenge. Someone's hurt me, I now want revenge. Because, like I talked about, that house that we started in on this destination is worldliness. It's our human nature. Our human nature says, I want revenge. Because in the world, that's normal. Remember what chapter 12, verse 2 said, though. Do not be conformed to this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the ways of the world, to your prior thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Christ's likeness, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We are not like the world. Letting go of revenge is an an important part of being transformed into Christ's likeness. Guys, I want to be open, honest, and transparent with you this morning. Um, When I found out I was preaching this passage a couple weeks ago, I didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. There's a situation in my life going on right now, without going into detail here, where I have been hurt deeply because someone I care about has been hurtly deeply by someone. This is not me sharing gossip, but this is me being transparent of where I was at two weeks ago and where I'm at now. For about three days two weeks ago, I had so much hate in my heart. I had sinful anger. My feelings were just rooted in sin. I'm just being real. And as a pastor of this church, I hate admitting that. I don't want to, right? I don't want to admit that sin, but I have to, to remain faithful. I came to a place last week where I decided I had two options. I had two options. When I found out what I was preaching, I could either find someone else to take this sermon for me and say, I'd rather not do this one and keep living in my sin and hold on to it tightly. Or I could repent, forgive the person, and show love, get up here, still having hurt in my heart, and be faithful to preach the sermon. I chose the latter one, right? I chose the latter, and it was not easy. It's been a rough couple weeks. This is not to praise myself, but rather to show you that I am a broken sinner like everyone else who must rely on the Lord for strength and redemption. I have to. We are called to forgive and to love. By the way, we're still allowed to feel hurt and and brokenness because forgiveness and feeling hurt can coexist and should coexist. The next two verses actually speak to this. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In the midst of the chaos of life, we must find this balance here. We have to rejoice with our brothers and sisters who are rejoicing, and we have to weep with our brothers and sisters who weep. I want to explain real quick why for three days I held on to anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and sin. Because those things made me feel like I was in control. I felt vulnerable, and those things made me feel like I was in control. Because I thought to weep with those who weep, to join in their weeping, I thought that would make me weak and frail. And when I feel vulnerable, I'm not trying to feel weak and frail, right? So I was like, no, I'm going to hold on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. But the Holy Spirit revealed to me otherwise. I knew I had to make a change. And when I finally called out to God and repented of my sins and asked God to forgive me, I, I personally, I felt a freedom that is too intense to describe. I felt so much freedom. And what's the result from that? I finally was able to feel the sadness and pain rather than sinful anger and a desire for revenge. I thought that anger and unforgiveness was control, but little did I know it was a spiral of uncontrol and a whirlwind of sin in my life. Letting go and forgiving produces freedom from that shame and sin. That anger made me feel like I was in control, that sin. Towards the person that made me feel like I was in control, but yet I felt so much shame because of it. I was finally able to have that freedom. Letting go and just forgiving gave me the freedom from that shame and sin. But the result was this is the cool thing here, I was finally able to weep with those who weep. I was so angry. That I couldn't hurt and feel the pain and weep with the person that was hurting. How twisted is that? How selfish of me is that? But how many times have we done that in our lives? We don't even realize it. The freedom from hatred in our lives comes in rejoicing and weeping with our brothers and sisters. Joining them in that. Because both can coexist and both should coexist. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's necessary. It's necessary for freedom. Verse 16 here continues and calls us to live in harmony, which Brad talked about last week, right? A reminder, if there's someone in here or in your life that you have beef with, reconcile. Reconcile immediately as quick as you possibly can because this Christian life can be difficult and we have to do it together as one unified body of Christ. We cannot do it by ourselves. It's not the way God designed us. It's not the way he designed us. Verse 16 continues by saying, not to be wise in our own estimation. I read that this week. I was like, what the heck does that mean? Not to be wise in our own estimation. I'm like, what? Let me explain this here. In my life, when I was in sin a couple of weeks ago, holding on to unforgiveness, I actually had people speaking into my life. My own wisdom said, get revenge and hold hate. Which is clearly, as we look at that, that's not wisdom, right? It's stupidity. That's not wisdom. But my fiance, Jada, Brad, my parents, all were speaking into my life truth, biblical truth of how I needed to repent and forgive. That is godly wisdom. That is true wisdom. I thank them for that. That's true wisdom. But that's what it means not to be wise in our own estimation. Because my wisdom in that moment of sin is not wisdom. Like I said, stupidity. But when someone is speaking into your life using the truth of God's word, that is true and ultimate wisdom. That's what we're talking about here. Don't be wise in your own estimation, but go to the people that hold to godly truth or speaking that into your lives. Paul in verse 17 says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. N.T. Wright had a quote about this here where he says, There are many other things to be said about God's moral governance of the world, but the center of Christian history stands this claim. Hear this here that when human evil reached its height, God came and took its full weight upon himself, thereby exhausting it and opening the way for the creation of a new world altogether. Hear this line here Revenge keeps evil in circulation. Revenge keeps evil in circulation. Let me just be clear here, and this is something I realized a couple weeks ago. Just because someone has sinned against you, then gives you no right to sin against them as a Christian. No right at all. It feels good. Gives you no right to do it. Because revenge keeps evil into circulation, and that is abhorrent to God. But here's what we have to recognize. Sin can be. All sin can be redeemed in the loving hands of Christ, because it has been done in my life and it has been done in yours. Here's what we got to do, though: we have to allow that to be done in others' lives as well. I love what Paul says in the second half of verse 17 here: "Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes." Let me clear it. When we, Let me be clear here: when it says "everyone's eyes," we're not talking about the world. This would actually be in reference to that last verse that was talking about the wise people that speak into our lives. Do what is right in their eyes, what is honorable in their eyes. Why? Because they are living out and preaching biblical wisdom. Do what's honorable in their eyes because it lines up with Scripture. But this verse has actually been a constant prayer for me for about a week now because I want to flee from sin and rejoice in this forgiveness. Because I have received forgiveness that God has shown me. And I want to rejoice in that. I want to define forgiveness real quick for us. Forgiveness is releasing the desire to see someone punished for their actions. Releasing the do- desire to punish someone for their actions. If that's how we define forgiveness, that's exactly what Jesus did for me. So, who am I to not show that same forgiveness in my own life? If I've offended God so greatly in my life, time and time again, who am I to not to deny that to someone else? I can't do it. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all: this is Jesus speaking: if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, we've been talking about these last few verses. Is part of taking up your cross daily. There are some things that come natural when you become a Christian. There are some sins when I became a Christian that I frankly just haven't ever struggled with again. There are some that I have, right? There are some that I still struggle with. There are also things that God called me to do when I became a Christian that came easier to me. And then there are some things that have not, like loving my enemy. It's tough because it's foreign. It seems impossible. It seems impossible that we could ever love someone with the love of Jesus that has hurt us so deeply. Yet our God, hear me on this, our God is the God who does the impossible. We think that we can't change and shift in that. Our God is the God who does the impossible. And he did it in my life last week. I didn't think it would happen. But he did and he can do it in yours as well. Forgiveness and the love of your enemy Is a huge part of taking off your cross daily and following Jesus. The whole point of that analogy is Jesus saying that carrying the weight and burden of the cross is not easy. But it's what he commands us to do because why? He modeled it perfectly for us. He did it for us. He calls us to do the same. When we do this, verse 18, what we read is pretty easy to live out. We actually get to live at peace with everyone. If we all did this, we get to live at peace with everyone. True Christ-likeness, right? The road is long, it is difficult, and it is painful, but we see we can get there. Not by ourselves, though. It's with each other, and it's by God. Here's what I will tell you. If you're trying to do this thing by yourself, it ain't going to happen. You're not going to get there. This is done together. Verse 19 and 20 We're getting into something that's incredibly important for this conversation here. Verse 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. When I found out I was preaching this sermon this week, I read this. I was like, yep, nope, don't want to talk about that. I want vengeance, right? I want to avenge myself. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink, for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. The important thing to realize here is that we are not God. We do not punish, and we do not avenge. But praise God that I don't have that type of power, right? Praise God that I don't have the power that he does, because as you've seen, as I've been preaching this, I'm a broken and sinful person that's saved by grace, right? Nothing more than that. Broken and sinful. Praise God I don't have his power because I would make terrible decisions. But God has the ultimate wisdom and knowledge, right? So who am I to declare to God that he must avenge someone? Who am I to say that? That is the epitome of pride and arrogance. To tell God that he must do something. We must let God be God and trust him in that. Verse 20 is interesting here because it says we're called to feed our enemies Give them something to drink. But why? You're supposed to do this because it leads to something. It leads to heaping fiery coals on their heads. If you throw this up for me. That's a fiery coal, right? This seems a little odd. I thought Paul was telling us, guys, like these people that have hurt you, your enemy. show love to them. Show grace. Show mercy. Love them with the love of Christ. Promote unity. But I do want you to throw these on their foreheads. Do want you to throw... Them. What's he talking about here? It's like this is so strange. I don't think throwing these on your enemy's forehead is going to promote much unity. Right? That seems weird. Don't get it twisted here, though. The coals are not used for a punishment. We talk about forgiveness is letting go of the desire to punish someone for what they've done. This is actually what Paul's describing here. It is not a punishment. We've all heard the phrase kill them with kindness right we've all heard this that's kind of what we're talking about here there was a friend that i had in high school um and i was actually kind of mean to him i was a a jerk to him he was often the butt of a lot of jokes in our friend group and i wasn't nice to him a lot of the times but yet he was a loyal friend that would have done anything for me no matter how hurtful i was being it took me about a year to realize what i was doing about a year Because he was such a nice and kind person, but yet I was a jerk. And this was powerful enough, just by his actions, to bring me to a place of apologizing and changing my behavior. Because when someone shows you the true love of Jesus, the true love of Christ, and you begin to see Jesus in their behavior towards you, it actually makes a shift and a change in you. And that's what, as believers, we're called to do, right? You start to wonder... Why is this person acting this way? So what are these fiery coals here? It's our kindness and our love that makes our enemy uncomfortable. And what happens is with my friend, I realize he's being so nice, so loving, so kind. What's wrong with me? Why am I not reciprocating that? Why am I acting like this? It made me realize there's something wrong with me. It's a reality check. Heaping fiery coals on our enemy is not to punish, important, not to punish, but to produce discomfort, which then leads to repentance. Our goal with any person in our lives, whether it's the ones who love us dearly or the ones who hate us so much, should be to lead them to repentance and redemption in Christ. It's the goal regardless across the board. Who am I to say that someone does not deserve the forgiveness of Jesus? I'm done doing that I held on to that for three days I'm done with that it just binds you up in sin there's such a weight of shame that is on you you have to let it go if you feel like that in here this morning please trust me on this let that go who am I to say that someone doesn't deserve the grace of Jesus because I don't I don't deserve it but yet he's given it to me Yet he had mercy on me at my salvation and continues to have mercy on me every day in my life. It means I have to show it to everyone else. A quote from a commentary I read this week said this about the fiery coals. We should actually go out of our way to do positive, uncalled-for acts of kindness to those who have wronged us. That, in turn, may lead to remorse or even to repentance and thereby reconciliation and redemption. That is the goal. That's what it means for us to let go of that worldly nature that we started with in that driveway and go through this journey towards the destination of Christ-likeness. Guys, if we live this out, we're almost there. We're almost there. This is what he's calling us to. Just to recap, I have two calls of action. If you want to take a picture of this or write this down, this is important for this week. Um, first off, I want you to read through those 10 actions in verses 9 through 13. I want you to read through those every morning before you start your day this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in those. Like I said, all those attributes, God's instilled them in you. They're already in you. It is our job to take action in each of those. Apply those to your lives and see what God does. See what God does. And I want to hear about it because it's going to be incredible what God does in your heart. Second thing here. Leave wrath and vengeance to God. Forgive the enemies in your life. Love them well. Like I said, if you have beef with somebody, whether it's in this building or whether it's outside of here, take care of it today. Don't put it off any longer. Don't hold on to the bitterness, to the anger, to the sin. Let it go and find freedom in Christ. Find the freedom. And it's not easy. I know that from the last couple weeks that it's not easy. Because I admitted to you I did it poorly and sinfully, but I repented of that and allowed the Lord to lead me to forgiveness and to peace. And that's such a great place to be in. Such a great place to be in. Do that in your life and you're going to find that same freedom. Let's walk this journey together in unity. The last verse here. How Paul closes out the chapter, verse 21. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil was good like i said earlier this whole thing here it's 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 working to be christ-like it's working to live like jesus did jesus did verse 21 perfectly because jesus had the power to come into a world that is completely full of sin and just destroy it right He could have conquered evil with evil. He could have done whatever he wanted. He could have committed evil against the people that committed evil against him. But he didn't, right? He conquered evil with good. And when we talk about good, what is the purest form of good? First off, it's God. But what do we see in the book of John? That the greatest showing of love is laying down your life.